what is the oldest thing you know about either side of your family history? What I know for sure, my great grandparents, they um, were born in the U.S. One was Polish. One was Italian. They actually started an Italian grocery store in Reading, Pennsylvania, very small corner store. About halfway through its existence, they realized they were making a lot more money selling sandwiches than they were actually selling groceries. So they turned into a sandwich shop and it's been open, I think, since I think it was 1930 something. We've been in the food business. That is the oldest. That is my oldest memory. My mom's side. My dad's side, Lithuanian, but all born in the U.S. And my grandparents and on both sides of my family live within five minutes of each other. One of them lived two minutes down the street walk from the, the sandwich shop. And most of the, my grandmother's family grew up on top of the sandwich shop. Live from our studio in Babson Park, Massachusetts, it's the Fred Opie Show where we unpack history to positively impact the future. I am Fred Opie, your host. Thanks for joining us live or listening to the podcast. Our guest on this episode is Jared Andrew Canis. Andrew Canis is an executive producer and showrunner who has won three Emmy Awards for his contributions at Zero Point Zero Productions, working on Parts Unknown, hosted by Anthony Bourdain. We talk about his family origins, education, and his journey to becoming one of the best in his industry. This interview is a truncated masterclass on becoming a producer. The roadmap is a lot different than you may have imagined. Did you eat the profits or did you help make the profits? I never actually had a gig at the sandwich shop growing up, but my grandfather, right? So this is my grandmother's parents owned the sandwich shop. She met my grandfather while he was driving down the street. She was carrying steak sandwiches. They used to make these steak sandwiches in a pot from the kitchen to the actual sandwich shop storefront. They met. He owned a grocery store that at another part of town. And I, when I grew up, when I became of age, I worked for them at their grocery store and the bakery. And my dad was a butcher. I worked in the meat department with him for a little bit. Uh, my mom worked up front. She was in accounting and grocery. And that's like, I've kind of been time to that. But yeah, yeah, eating the profits. I still, I just, every time I go home, I grab a sandwich. They actually designed a, a travel sandwich for us that moved away so they could preserve. It's look like a fresh Italian sandwich, right? A fresh hoagie, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that's, that's the story there. Have there been any other people in your family who have gone into media production? No, no, I'm the only one. My dad always liked cameras and stereo equipment. He would always want to get a new camcorder. So probably when I was like third grade, I got my hands on one of his old camcorders set up in my basement and I would invite my friends over. We would make movies together, mostly knockoff horror films. (laughs) Definitely not large-scale documentaries detailing culture and food all around the world. But if you look at like the songs you like to listen to, you realize there's a familiar beat to it. Mm-hmm. My mom thought that I like would be better going to school for computer science because I played a lot of video games and anyone who knows computer science knows that it is not about video games. It's not at all. It's mostly about detailing matrices to help figure out math problems for like electrical engineering. But I, um, I should have gone to school for TV production. But then again, I look at how I ended up and the path that I chose and most of it was not because of what I thought was the right college career for me. But what I learned in college, I was I focused on English. That was part of communication. And when I look to hire new producers or I talk about what makes a producer a good AP, storytelling is universal. Your medium that you use, pen, video, brush, 
name it, right? Food, especially like however you cook, this is another form of storytelling, right? As long as you can put together like a coherent sentence story, you can utilize different mediums to pull that together. Those comparisons come to light. Now, how difficult, but yet how simple it can be to tell those stories. English came in handy. And being a butcher, you know, being a cake decorator, like that, that came in handy too. It does sound like there is a line from the videos to what you're doing now. For sure. I don't have kids now, but that's something that I would know to pay attention to. You went to Penn State, correct? How did you make the choice to go there? I went to Millersville University first. That was my computer science career. And after two semesters, I didn't want to go there anymore for computer science. I wanted to take a semester off. I wanted to move to Boston and work in a restaurant when I was 19. My mom convinced me to stay in school. I went to Penn State Berks. I took a creative writing course. I got published for the first time. That's really helped motivate me main campus. I'm in business marketing at that point, but I'm digging English. I'm about to change my major. My mom gets sick. She has cancer. And I'm moving home. She passes away that summer. I'm going to take a summer off. I'm not going to go back to Penn State. I dropped out before I graduated, moved around the country, and I ended up really falling in love with the food and the city and the culture of New Orleans. I've been a server for years. I worked at Red Lobster. I worked at House of Blues. I was a restaurant attached to a music venue. I worked at Outback Steakhouse. I've done all that stuff. New Orleans. That's where I got my first job on set. It's where I realized just to show up on time, do my thing. And then that summer, I met the guy that got me the job at 0.0. Company I worked for, Chris and Lydia, they were in the field for years, had kids a little bit later in life. We've always worked hard, but we didn't want to make people work until they hated the work. They also hired young kids, so that was more flexible, right? They weren't hiring producers that were 45 years old. Like we all were, like, I mean, I was 29. The people I work with, Tom, he was a year younger than me. We were all very close, like late 20s, moving to New York City. You don't have to work 15-hour days to be good at this job. That's a misnomer. That goes down to bad management. And unfortunately, there's a lot of that in the world. You have to put in the time, which I think is fair, but you also shouldn't destroy your personal relationships to work in television. I had matriculated past New Orleans to work in the, in the industry. That didn't work out so well. I moved to San Diego and back to New Orleans. I was there for Hurricane Katrina, destroyed my house. Wow. I wrote a memoir about it. All these little storytelling experiences add up. And that's how I ended up getting into this. If you're willing to work hard and listen and you have a skill set, you can learn this job. Being able to communicate efficiently, clearly, respectfully, no matter who you're talking to. You got to get on the phone with people and talk. We were always very clear from the jump with that series that we weren't necessarily trying to educate. We wanted to learn with people. You couldn't find anyone on this planet that could take you somewhere like Tony could with the teams that we worked with over the years and give you a beautiful balance of history, culture, that beautiful way he had of drawing those parallels in, in his writing for each episode. There's something about effective filmmaking where you'll tell people what you want to hear. What we would do, I think that worked the best is if they said, Jared, like you're going to the Philippines. I'd be like, I need to find someone, one, who speaks that language, who's been there before and who I trust to show me what they want me to see. That's a huge piece of hiring. And that's where you begin on any of these episodes. The producer 
job is to hire the right people to put us in the right places on the ground. The way that we've done that so successfully is ask the questions. Where would your mom want you to go eat? Little things like that, that's producing, drawing those lines. We would get videos from 150 people and we'd pick seven. Let me have them answer a couple questions, recording themselves, send that to us. We're putting a video camera on them. We'd get that, we'd absorb it and we'd narrow it down. And then the next call would be me. I do the interview on the fly and ask them questions. That shows your ability to pick it up. A good host is always listening, not just spitting out things. Is this somebody that you want to be an English major, somebody who's a history major, anthropology major? Is there any rhyme or reason if you think about your assistants and the ones who are excelling? What is it? There's a couple elements. Writing is huge. It's all storytelling. By the time I became a producer, I was a guy who read a lot as a kid, above my level for sure. Poetry, prose, I was always into that. Michael Crichton, Stephen King. Mm. It doesn't have to be academic reading. If you can write, every word is precious. There's magic in learning how to do that, how to put together like a very succinct, effective email communication that's meaningful and layered. These things all add up. I can train people up if they've got the physicality that's required. That's a real thing for sure. They don't have to be able to like do 50 push-ups, but if you can do 20, you're probably going to be better off. If you can write and communicate and you also like have the ability to work under stress, you can't train that. I learned that in the restaurant. That was a combination of things I couldn't control. I had to deal with working till midnight. I had to work with managers that in general didn't want to be there. So I had to somehow, some way, figure out a way to hold all these things up. You can't teach it. You just got to learn it first. And I think that's something that um, I've found that people that I've worked with and trained, sometimes the ones that have the best education in the room, sometimes are not as good as in the wild. Think about reading Kitchen Confidential and Tony says... You think you want to be a chef, go work in a restaurant for six weeks and then come talk to me. Well, in your case, you think you want to be a producer? Where do you go work? I mean, you just talked about your kitchen experience, but is there a place to go to see if you got the chops or not as a producer? When I got started, you would go to production gigs. My first couple were no pay. You start there. If you're in a major city, you should be able to figure out a way to get onto a production. If you see somebody filming on the street, ask a PA how to get a job. They're the ones that are going to talk. You don't want to ask the person that's standing behind the camera while they say rolling. When you're walking towards the set, the first one you generally run into is not the executive producer. It's a PA on the fringe. They usually have a walkie. They look young, but just ask the question, hey, how'd you get this job? And that's something I did multiple times and it worked out for me. I was like, who do you have to talk to get on this set? You get in and if you're good, you're just going to get promoted. Anyone can be a PA. Almost anyone can be a PA. The next step, okay, you got some sauce. Go up a little bit more and that's the progression. Eventually you just top out. Getting in the door shouldn't be challenging for people that really want to do it. You got to figure it out. It sounds like you're saying, if you want to get into the field I'm doing, go volunteer. Forget getting paid. <laughs> Just go yeah. volunteer. It's the smartest thing you could do to yep. get started. I don't need you to be great. I just need you to be here, be on time, and be ready to go. Get to work a half hour early, have a cup of coffee, look around. Because the minute that I show up as your boss, guess what? I'm, I affect the room. You want advice? 
when you get out there in the field as an AP, set that call time at 7 a.m., go down and get coffee at 6, sit there, think about the day, listen to a music, listen to a podcast, read the local newspaper, take a walk around the neighborhood if it's safe. Just get take a second for yourself because we all get so jammed up. And it's your communication skills. I cannot stress. I don't need you to be an expert on anything, but I need you to be able to ask the questions that help us both learn about something together. Can you give me a demarcation between what you now do as a showrunner versus what you did before? What's the difference? If you look at each series as a business, the typical show, six episode order, that's six teams, right? Producer, director, editor for the episode. Figure those three people. Those are key creative seats that essentially help shape the majority. But before I began showrunning, I was just one of one or two of those three. I was a producer, director, right? Um, now what I do is essentially we assign the episodes. It's like locations. Each team gets one. They help the schedule. They make sure people are getting hired and paid. My real goal is to build a schedule that's on budget that allows these creative teams time for success while guiding them building their individual episode one-page abstracts into full-on treatments, which are then translated into schedules with real scenes in place, Hmm. and then day-by-day shooting where we're doing those sort of feedback loops. Then that all goes times six. So as you can imagine, as the waterfall effect goes, middle of the schedule, you're getting pretty jammed up. Location one just got back. Location two is in the field. Location three is going out in a week. That sort of rails down into the entire process. As a showrunner, I'm solving multiple producer problems at one time and while also evaluating overall storyline and arc of the series. We very rarely hire stringers, which are the locals. The crew consisted of three people, four people? Tony, director, producer, two camera operators. And that was it. And they would fly an AC at the end. About five, five, six people that travel. In your career, who's been a hero? What's been a hardship? And what's been a highlight? Hardship-wise, I have had very little hardship. Nothing that I could even bring up that I can think of. Maybe I'll think of it when I go through the hero part. Hero-wise, Tony's a huge part of that, but like in an unexpected way, because I can't say he was a great boss or a bad boss. The way that he trust the process and believed in the product. He was able to draw some of the most talented human beings that I've ever, that, that I think I ever do this thing that we do, the very small niche thing that we do. Everyone wanted to work on that show. There was like six of us that did the job that I did for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, that's insane. Give a kid who's 28 years old, who comes from being a bar back and say, you're for the next 15 years of your life, you're going to go to 40 plus countries, meet people around the world, win three Emmys. I mean, it's all a highlight. I have a negative story. Mm. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I've been very lucky. I want you to write a book of success, a memoir about your career. Okay. And share with the audience the chapter titles of three of the chapters. Three of the titles. I have a family that believes in you and stands by even when you're a little bit crazy like a very good family structure very supportive trust your legs i still think back to when someone asked me if i could do something and i knew i could do it because i had worked as a bar back in a 2500 person club with one ice machine 
in New Orleans in July, serving 12 bartenders. When it was Jazz Fest, I started at 10 p.m. and I got done at 10 a.m. Trust your legs. Believe in yourself. No matter you know what happens, you're able to believing in yourself. That's it for this edition of the Fred Opie Show. Thank you for joining us. Check out the show archive at fredopiespeaks.com, as well as our books and other content. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our show notes where you'll find a way to subscribe to our podcast, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. You'll find links to books discussed on the show, links to our YouTube channel where you can watch the show. If you want to know more about what I'm doing, go to fredopi.com, which is my website. You can see information on the books I publish. There are two blogs that I host there, both a food and an athlete's blog, and there's both a food and an athlete's podcast. The whole archive to both those two podcasts are there. At the bottom of the podcast page, I have links to interviews that I have listened to on other people's podcasts that I would recommend to you. 